asked if I would just give a little update on what I've been up to lately, and I'll try to do that briefly. Uh, I want to get into the theme. Um, yeah, I think since we've gone into this exciting phase of multiplying uh, ministries and spheres of service across the nations, uh, that's, for me, been a, a, a pretty massive change to come out from the center of a huge family and hand it on to the next generation. Uh, so for me, when, when I got a new diary, for instance, uh, um, maybe you know, in January, uh, <laughs> in the past, it used to be immediately you put in all the UK team meetings, the international team meetings, the local uh, Brighton Church elders meetings, prayer and fasting, and within minutes, it's like full. Uh, uh, now I get a new diary, and it's like empty. And uh, <laughs> there's nothing prescribed. There's no kind of pattern. So my continual prayers, Lord, your will. Tell me what each time, show me. And uh, a brother had a wonderful prophecy uh, in a group of a couple of dozen men, and uh, I just knew it was very much for me. And uh, he, he said, I see a man, and uh, he has in his back pocket uh, a road map, and he keeps reaching for it. And God says he needs to abandon it because I'm giving him a sea chart with uh, current and tides and wind direction, and you've just got to learn to live in a completely different way. And uh, it really spoke to my heart. And so I've been trying to learn uh, to be in a, a much more unstructured uh, life for me. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm still probably 60% uh, in New Frontier settings, in the various settings, uh, internationally, uh, the UK. Uh, but I think probably, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, uh, some 40% of the time, uh, beyond New Frontiers, uh, getting into situations which I think uh, ultimately New Frontiers can come in behind and touch things. So God's opened some wonderful doors. I was, I guess my last time overseas was Bulgaria, where they've recently translated um, uh, God's lavish grace into Bulgarian. And I had the privilege of speaking to gathered people from quite a wide area and then to a local church on grace themes and to know that, hey, they've got the book in their own language is very encouraging. Uh, next week, I go to Missouri in the USA, uh, speaking again at actually quite a large church setting, and uh, again, attending, uh, addressing some of these themes. And then I'm going up to St. Louis, where we've got our group of churches, the New Frontiers churches, the Midwest group. We started with one church in America, which we've done in a number of nations. One church in Mumbai, in India, one church in Guadalajara, in Mexico, one church in Cape Town, South Africa. Now, every place, they've been multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. Um, in fact, I met with a guy recently who was on the very first, I think we called them New Life Teams. There were two young men uh, on that li New Life Team, which was uh, uh, with us in Brighton at the time. And he showed me a chart that I'd drawn for him at the time showing the 26 churches we were working with in those days. And then he showed me another one which had 50 or so. And I mean, it's now impossible to say how many churches uh, we're talking about around the world. We can't really keep up. So when I go to the States, I'm going to our people, the Midwest group. Used to be one, but now there's three groups across the States. Um, and then I'm going across to New York to be with a guy who's written to me and said that in his multi-site church, all their cells have gone through this book and also gone through the Spirit-Filled Church book. Is there any way I could come and spend a few days with them? So that comes next. And then I'm going up to Boston where, again, we have New Frontiers churches 
and uh, spend some time in the churches there, and then we have our what they call the Northeast Celebration, which is their um, weekend uh, camp altogether, the churches in the Northeast, which will draw them up from Boston and from a place called Portsmouth. Lots of towns in that part are all got English names. I, I looked in my diary, I thought, Portsmouth, I thought, not going to Portsmouth. Oh, of course, Portsmouth in America. Uh, and uh, so I'm, that's, that's next for me. Later in the year, I'm, I'm going to Beijing to do a conference. I'm going to Qatar to do a leaders' conference. So I'm going to lots of places that are new to me. Uh, and uh, yeah, life is very, very busy, just as busy as before, uh, but very different. Um, and I'm used to being in teams. I love teams. Teams are, I mean, they're just wonderful. I've treasured being in teams. So it's a bit weird not being in a team anymore. I find that quite strange. Uh, so apart from my wife and me, we're a team. Uh, but when I'm not in a team of guys anymore. So life, you have to learn how to navigate in a new setting. So thank you so much for the invitation to come. I'm so glad to be here. I'm happy to address the theme you've asked me to address. And uh, we'll get stuck in, shall we, for this first session. I'm going to read to you one verse from Romans, uh, chapter 5, and then uh, we'll we'll begin to get into the subject. In Romans, Paul's arguing the gospel, really, setting out the gospel in a wonderful way, and it's quite difficult to interrupt him once he gets going. Uh, But in chapter 5, he's particularly comparing and contrasting the results of Adam's disobedience and how one man wrecked the human race. Uh, he defiled the stream. We've all come from that stream now. We're all children of disobedience. Uh, how one man then wrecked the human race. And yet, in chapter 5, he's all uh, comparing with this other one man, Jesus, who has set it right for us and made us accept it. And if you read the whole chapter, which I'm not going to do, you'll find he just keeps on uh, saying the one did this, the other did that. One did this, the other did that. We're going to read one of those verses And then we'll take it from there. So verse 17 of Romans 5. If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that we've been singing about your marvelous glory. We, we love these themes, Lord, the lion and the lamb, your frightening power, your tender mercies. Lord, we, we're just full of wonder at who you are, your awesome majesty, and yet your tender kindness towards us. And Father, we just come to you right now. Thank you for an open Bible. Thank you for an appetite to read it and spend time in your presence. We acknowledge that's all come from you, Lord. And we ask right now, Father, please, for the help of the Holy Spirit. Please come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us now. Lead us into truth. Inspire faith in our hearts. Bring clarity of revelation. Lord, we want to be the better equipped to serve you and enjoy your love. So, Holy Spirit, lead us, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this verse I read to you has a beautiful phrase in it. It says that we will 
reign in life through this abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness. Reigning in life is a vivid phrase, isn't it? It speaks of kind of being on top, not under the circumstances, but reigning in life. Uh, I love it. It's a very, very vivid phrase. It's not the only one uh, in our Bibles that speaks like that. Elsewhere it says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. Uh, again, very vivid phrase. It says elsewhere, he always leads us in his triumph. So what a life we're living, always in triumph, more than conquerors, reigning in life, and uh, that's describing the Christian. That's what it is to be a Christian. And I guess for most of us, we, we love those phrases. They kind of resonate in our hearts. We think, yeah, that's what I was called to. And yet so often, we also feel, hmm, if only. That's, that, I'd love it if it was more like that. I wonder if, I, I wish that's how people would describe my life more. Uh, and, and we kind of feel that's kind of out of reach for us. Uh, and we can sometimes come to moments where that's brought home to us. Maybe at a conference, maybe at the end of the year. You know, you come to the end of a year and uh, you maybe look at a new diary and think, I haven't messed up any pages in it yet. Uh, but last year, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry it's not what I wanted. I've not been as I should have been. And, and those moments are good, really. They're the moments when you kind of get caught up and think, yeah, Lord, I should be doing better than this. And they're wonderful moments when we feel, yes, Lord, I'm going to. When we think, yeah, I'm going to reign in life. I'm going to, I'm going to be more than a conqueror. That's what you promised me. I'm going, that's what I'm going to be. And, and the sad thing is, but at that very moment when we feel fresh motivation, Instead of reading the small print uh, and see what it actually says, we think, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to reign in life? Uh, and very often we think, right, it's you know, the beginning of a new year. There's the year spread before me. I'm going to reign in life. And in, in that very moment, we, we tend to kind of think, well, I'll add some stuff. Uh, what shall I do? Well, I'll, 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 get up, I'll get up an hour earlier in the morning. Uh, I'll pray longer. I'll, I'll read my whole Bible this year. I'm going to start, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. I'm, I set myself, it's like I set myself some rules to live by. I, put, I, I say, if I can keep these laws, I'll reign in life. That's, that's the way, that's the path we tend to go down. I set myself some laws. If I can fulfill them, I'll reign in life. And Paul says to us, no, 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 that isn't the way. And he says some pretty radical stuff. He says, you who be justified by law have fallen away from grace. That's a radical statement. If, if we ever hear that phrase, you know, oh, he's fallen from grace, it tends to be because we had a conversation, we said, oh, have you seen John lately? Mm, he's not coming anymore. I think he may have fallen from grace. And we tend to think he's backslidden. But Paul says falling from grace is when you start being legalistic. You start adding things to your faith. You start saying, well, to make myself complete, I'll add these other things. And he says that in the book of Galatians. Now, it's quite good to remind yourself about the book of Galatians because Paul wrote that whole letter. We could spend the whole day looking at Galatians because it touches on the same theme. And what happened was Paul went to Galatia. He preached the gospel. And, and you can read in chapter 3, it says, they received the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders were happening around them. I mean, this church got off to a great start. God came. The power of God was present. They're clearly Christians. And then Paul, being an apostle, says, well, I've established you. God bless you. I'm going to go and do it again. I'm off to another town. And when he leaves, 
uh, the Judaizers move in behind him. Now, Judaizers would have been Christians, yes, but Christians with a very Jewish root, who perhaps not really understood the gospel very clearly. And so they come in behind Paul and they say, hey, this is great. You, you Gentiles have received our Messiah. This is wonderful. Our Bible's told us, you know, our prophet said Gentiles would come and, and receive the Messiah. This is great news. You, you've done well. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. Um, but we have walked with him for years. Um, you know, we've known him for centuries. And if you're going to be really accepted, really accepted, um, you know, some things you need to do. And they're thinking, oh, this is what you must do. You must be circumcised. Uh, you must keep the Sabbath. Uh, you must keep the feast days. And you shouldn't eat pork and that stuff. Don't. And so they start adding things to let them make sure they're accepted. And Paul hears about it. He hears that these people who've been saved by Jesus, he says in Galatians 3, the cross was publicly placarded before you. I set forth Jesus crucified. And you're full of the Spirit. Signs and wonders were happening. Are you trying to make yourself complete when you're already at home with God? And he's furious. He writes this furious letter. And he says to them, who's bewitched you? I mean, it's a strong word when people are saying, keep the law. You're being bewitched. You're so missing the point. And he's furious that they're obscuring the clarity of the gospel by making it more like a rule-keeping religion, that they're missing the way. Now, that, that, beloved, can happen today in the modern church. So it's possible that you can be saved. Maybe, maybe <laughs> imagine yourself for someone who's, you know, you've seen, you've met a Christian at work, maybe. You think, wow, she's got life together, something about her. Uh, and you say, well, what is it with you? Oh, I'm a Christian. What's that mean? Well, come up to our church. You come to church, and they're all a bit like it. You think, wow, this is peaceful, happy. You know, what's with you people? And you think, I've got to clean up my act. I've got to stop this and cut that out and change the way I talk. And you, and you try and sort yourself out, and you find you can't. And then one day you hear the gospel. Just as I am, I can come. And you think, well, you, I don't have to. Yeah, just come. Just receive Christ. And you think, wow, why didn't anybody ever tell me this before? And you come forward, you receive Christ, you get saved, you're born of God. And then someone comes along and says, hey, you just become a Christian. Yeah, I've just become a Christian. Oh, I'm so pleased for you. Uh, can I help you? Yeah, please help me. Um, there's some things you must do. <laughs> oh, yeah, you must read your Bible every day. Okay. And you must pray. Okay, okay. And you must... Um, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't wear those kind of clothes, okay? Uh, and I shouldn't really do your hair like that. And, and you're saying, okay, got it, uh, got it, uh, okay, got that, yeah, okay, yeah. Thank you so much. I, I feel so wonderfully released today. <laughs> and, and you think, what happened to me today? Did I get saved or did someone put a whole load of stuff on me? And so we get, we get confused. What is it? Uh, what is it to become a Christian? Did I take on a lot of responsibility? What happened to me? And this confusion, actually, it's a confusion of law and grace. That's the confusion. And that's what we're hoping to sort out today. That's a confusion that comes. Paul says in Romans 6, sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. Now, that can be a very radical statement. You're not under law. What do you mean not under law? Jesus said this, 
the law will never pass away. And here's Paul saying, you're not under law. You think, if I said here this morning, how many here believe that Christians are under law? Put your hand up. Or how many here believe Christians are not under law? Put your hand up. I think we'd be going, hmm, what's Mike doing? Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, what's Ben doing? Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Because we, we sometimes we think, well, Jesus said it would never pass away. So, you know, where are we in this? What's, the, what's our relationship? How, do we ac- how are we accepted with God? Is it by doing these things? And that's the big issue. Paul says in Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. Now, we need to know what does that mean? What does that mean? And I'd just like to invite you to turn with me, if you like, to Romans chapter 7. I only read you one verse before. I'm going to read you half a dozen verses now. Romans 7, incidentally, I'm reading from the NASB, so you may find a word here or there different that people use all sorts of translations these days. Romans 7, I'm just going to read the first half dozen verses. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? That sounds pretty complete, doesn't it? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband's living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, verse 6, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Okay, so there's a a very vivid image. He kind of paints the picture that the law is our husband and we're married to him. He's he's got authority over us as long as we live, uh, as long as he lives. He's He's got this authority over our lives. And uh, the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. So here's, here's the law, his overbearing husband, and, and he's always telling us, don't do that. You should not do this. You should not do this. I should just introduce this subject as well. The fact that it's kind of, you need to keep it in the back of your mind. The devil is called the accuser of the brothers and sisters. That's, that's what he does. He says he accuses us day and night. In other words, I think the main weapon that Satan has is accusation. Satan means accuser. So that's his chief weapon. It's possible for Christians to think, well, if I don't go downtown, I won't meet Satan. I'll stay away from where he is. No, 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 it's not as easy as that. He comes into your prayer life. He comes into your mind. And and often, the way he does it is say, call yourself a Christian. I saw the way you lost your temper with your kids. Call yourself a Christian. You don't ever pray. Call yourself. He's just constantly barraging you with, you're hopeless. 
That's his main weapon, right? Just to bear that in mind, okay? I know that's not in the text, but it is in the Bible. We'll come back to that in a moment. So here's the, the law is saying, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Our husband is telling us what not to do. The law. You shall not do this, you shall not do this. Okay. So, you, but you see, you can't argue with him. Because you know he's right. It's not like what he's saying is bad, it's good. And so here's this husband who's absolutely perfect, telling you all the times you're wrong. You can't argue with him because he's right. You are, well, I think, no, no, he's right. But he never lifts a finger to help you. I don't want to see too many wives saying, I think he's talking about you, dear. <laughs> so here's this overbearing husband. He's always showing you where you're wrong. You, you know he's right, but he doesn't help you. And then Jesus said this, the law will never pass away. Right? So you are permanently married to this fault-finding husband who's always showing you how inadequate you are. He's always right. You can't argue. He'll never help you, and he's never going to die. Isn't, isn't religion wonderful? <laughs> now, wonderfully, Jesus says, well, at least Paul says here in this passage, therefore, my brothers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? All right, it says, you're in this condition as long as he lives. He almost sounds, the way he's approaching it, as though, hey, the law needs to go. If you can get rid of this guy, you can find a better husband. You say, yeah, I'd like to be part of the bride of Christ. Sorry, you've got a husband, the law. Can't have two husbands at once. That's what he's saying. Can't have two husbands at once. You've got one husband. Here's the law. And you almost feel, let him go. Like, no, no, he's not going to die. So how do we get out of this? Here it is, verse 4. You, my brothers, were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, something that happened to us through our identification with Christ, through the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means that when Adam sinned, he wrecked us all. Now we are being added to Christ, and something that happened to Christ changes our whole experience. What happened to Christ? Well, he had two relationships with the law. The first one was perfect, all right? We're told in the Bible he was innocent. That's the word describing Jesus, innocent. He never offended. He, never, he, he was righteous, totally righteous. He said to the crowd, which of you convinces me of sin? He said, Satan comes. He's got nothing on me. Jesus was innocent, holy, righteous. That was his prime relationship with the law. He completed, he fulfilled the law. He completely fulfilled it, perfectly fulfilled it. Then he had another relationship with the law. The Bible says this, God made him who knew no sin, he was innocent, to become sin for us. At the cross, Jesus took on the sin of the human race. He took on our guilt. He took on our shame. It, he was the personification of sin. And he the God who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And on the cross, the law thoroughly judged him, found him guilty. The law's vindicated. Jesus dies, takes the full weight. If we read through Galatians, the full curse of the law. He took it. He exhausted it. He died to it once for all. And Paul says, you were in Christ when that happened. 
just like you were in Adam when he sinned, though we don't remember it. I can't say, oh, I remember being, no, you don't remember it. But the Bible says the human race was in Adam. He was the human race. We were in him. When he sinned, we all got wrecked. When you become a Christian, you are in Christ. Paul's favorite phrase for a Christian, if any man is in Christ, we're in Christ. So when Jesus died to the law, Paul says plainly, verse 4, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. We have died to its power. When Jesus took the full wrath of God's right, and see, God's law is vindicated. God is vindicated. It's not that God said, oh, okay, I won't punish them. I'll let them off somehow. No, he couldn't just let this off somehow. The price had to be paid. The law had to be vindicated. God's righteous law had to be vindicated. God has to be seen to be holy and righteous and true to himself. And Jesus took it all. Hallelujah. He took it all. And when he took it, we were in him. Praise God. It says in verse 6, now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. So we serve in newness of spirit. We have been released, discharged. I think it's Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who uses the illustration when he says that it's like a soldier who's maybe done a few years of national service. He's been in the army, and uh, he's used to a sergeant shouting at him, you know, just doing everything, right, left, right, turn, doing, do, do whatever he says. And then there comes this day when you're discharged. You're, it's, you're off, it's finished. And uh, he, he, he paints the picture of a, a soldier with his sh- you know, jacket over his shoulder, no tie on, he's just strolling over the parade ground. And suddenly the sergeant comes around the corner and says, Soldier! He says, ah, Sarge! And he, oh, wait a minute, I'm out of here. Bye, Sarge. And he says, the sergeant can't touch it because you're out. You're discharged. You're not a soldier anymore. He has no more authority over you. And that's what this word is saying. You have been discharged. The law has no more authority over us. It's no longer our way of relating to God. We have been discharged from the law. Hallelujah. It's incredible freedom. It says in Galatians 5, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand fast in that liberty. Don't yield again to the yoke of bondage. God's brought us out into freedom. So, so what do we do? Do we kind of float around? And, yeah, I'm just a lawless character. I'm just, uh, I'm out here. Uh, well, let's read the whole verse. Verse 4 says this. He says, you died, verse 4, you died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, this second half of the verse is very important. So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, so there's three pretty big phrases there. You died to the law, so you might be joined to another. In other words, you got rid of that husband, not by the husband dying, amazingly, but by our dying. Paul says elsewhere, the law is good, providing you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous, but for sinners. The law keeps on declaring God's holy requirements. The law lives on. The law keeps speaking. But we, who are in Christ, have died to the law. It keeps speaking. It's not for the righteous. It's for sinners. See, some people say, well, yeah, we know, only, we know the law can't save. But once you're a Christian, you need to go back to the law to sanctify no, 
That's not what the Bible teaches. We have been discharged from it. We've been discharged from it. Why? So that we can be joined to another. In other words, this marriage analogy is still there. We're now going to be joined to a new husband. Who's that? The one raised from the dead. Well, there's no points for guessing who that is. Eh? So we're joined to Jesus now. We're joined. We've got a new husband. It's using marriage language. We're joined to him in order that we might bear fruit. Now, fruit bearing has not been mentioned thus far. All this stuff about the law, there's no reference to bearing fruit. See, the, the, the law didn't make us bear fruit. And that's what Paul says quite plainly in Galatians 3 and verse 21. Let me just read that verse to you. It says this, If a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would come by the law. If a law had been given that can impart life, you see, if the law can actually impart life, then, then let's, go down to, let's go to the schools. Let's get in among these teenagers. Let's go and tell them, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not steal. You shall, you know, you shall not. Just tell them. If the law, just telling, if the law could impart life, let's change all these youngsters by telling them the law. He said, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would come by the law. But the law doesn't impart any life. The law is an impotent husband. It doesn't impart any life. It just tells you where you're wrong. It can't change you. So happily, we've died to that husband that we might be joined to this new husband that we might bear fruit. Ah, we found a husband who's not impotent. We found a very potent husband. He says this, abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. We're called to a new relationship. We're called to one, not letter, but the spirit that imparts life. See, the law never said to you, my peace I give to you. The law never said that. Jesus is that. He's a much better husband. My peace I give you. These things I say that my joy may be in you. He pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is a better husband. So how do I live the holy life? Oh, we must go back to the law. No, it's impotent. How do I live the holy life? Get very close to your new husband. Let him impart life into you. you, you Jesus said, in, he uses a different analogy, the, the one of the vine. We sometimes miss the point because it says if you abide we tend not to, you know, I abide in Lowestoft. We don't use that language. It's kind of a religious word. It's meaningless a bit. It, it, it means this. If you make your dwelling in me, and I make my dwelling in you, you'll bear much fruit. Hallelujah. You get close to me. Let me impregnate you with my life, my seed, my word, my presence. You will change from the inside you will bear much fruit. So we've been set free from an impotent husband. Doesn't, and nothing happens with him. This new husband, no, no, he changes you from the inside. He imparts life to you. He changes you. As we relate to him by his spirit, 
we are changed, this relationship. So we're called from a legalistic system into a relationship with the Spirit who comes on Christ's behalf to flood our hearts. Amen? That's what we're called to, beloved. So we don't go back. You see, sometimes you say to a Christian, how are you going? You know, how are you going on? Mm, a bit up and down. I think we're not so much up and down as husband to husband. You know, we think, oh, I'm not doing very well. So we put ourselves back under the rule book thing, thinking that's how, that's how, and I'm not keeping the rules. for it. That's not the point. You've been discharged from that. See, sometimes we're like that. We think, Lord, I'm so sorry. I've not done well. You know, it's like, Lord Jesus, I'm not really walking with you like I should. Uh, Lord, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. Then, then will you be pleased? It's like saying to your new husband, I'm sorry we've not done well lately. I'll just develop my relationship with my old husband a bit. Is that, will that keep you happy? I think not. <laughs> I think you missed the point. See, Jesus is the way. We don't need a way to the way. He's the way. He's the one. He says, I, even to the backslidden church at uh, Laodicea, he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice, and keeps the Lord. No, if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. I'll come into him. I'll fellowship with you. I'll sup with you. I'll be back in your life. Then you'll be fruitful again. Jesus is the way. He said, I'm the way. So we've been discharged from that old way. We have been set free from that. So we reign in life, beloved, because we don't keep putting ourselves under the law. And as I mentioned earlier on, how Satan gets hidden in there and says, yeah, you're no good. You're useless. And we need to understand, no, no, that's not, our, that's not how we relate to God anymore. That's not the deal anymore. It's radically different. I know for myself, beloved, I, I was, you know, I got saved and I terribly backslidden at first. And I really had a crisis. I gave myself to God as far as I knew how. I got filled with the Spirit. I started serving God full time as a pastor. You know, I'm getting on with it. But I'd never understood grace. I'd never seen it. Uh, and I'd been in ministry for some years. And, and I just suddenly saw this amazing grace. I'm not under law. It's, and I used to get up off my knees praying. And the first thing I'd think was, why didn't you pray longer? You know, why was on you? And you just think, oh, am I doing enough? Am I really keeping you happy? Lord? Am I thoroughly accepted? And trying to do enough. Although, I would, you know, people probably would say, no, he's a zealous young man. I was, but I lived under this cloud. And I felt God showed me one day, there's no cloud. It's gone. You're totally accepted. I thought, whoa. It was like a load came off my back. I was so impressed with what Ben said at the beginning about where people have understood grace. It changes. It just causes you to surge forward because you're not under that kind of rule-keeping deal of trying to keep God happy. It says, we reign in life through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Spend a little while on that before we close. The free gift of righteousness. You see, so often we're trying to deal with a thing we come sometimes called condemnation. We just feel, I feel a bit condemned. I'm not doing well. And we try to answer condemnation with sanctification. We, we say, I wish I was doing better. I wish I could improve my godly living. Then I get rid of condemnation. So if I say this right arm represents my consciousness of condemnation, I'm not doing well. 
So I said, well, I'll pray longer then. I've got to try and cover this over. I'll read my Bible more. I'll try harder to somehow cover over this condemnation. And then Satan comes and accuses you. Hey, I'm trying hard. I'm praying harder. I'm praying better. I'm doing better. And then he says, oh, have you heard about Jane? No, what about Jane? She fasts twice a week. Oh, no, fast twice a week. <laughs> Got to do that as well now. Oh, God. I remember once I, was, I used to commute to London every day to my job, and I heard about a friend of mine who went through the train giving out tracks to everybody. I mean, it just killed me. I thought, I've got to do that now. I've got to do that now. <laughs> that is how it, everything, I thought, oh, I've got to do that as well. It's like I, I, I'll never be acceptable. If I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. But sanctification or activity is not the answer to condemnation. What's the answer to condemnation? There's another Bible word, justification. We are justified freely as a gift. It to For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Someone said when they read that and really understood it, they underlined it so much it went right through to the maps. It's like, wow! Do you believe that about yourself? There's no condemnation. There just isn't any because I'm in Christ. There is no condemnation for us. And when we grasp that, and hopefully that will sink deeper into our hearts while we're together today, there is no condemnation. Then I'm a free agent. God set me free. It's an amazing freedom. It's almost like it says, and I know for me it was like this, when it says that Jesus is alive again. He's risen from the tomb. It says they could not believe for joy. I thought that. When I, when I saw grace, I thought, I can't believe this is so good. This is so good. There's nothing more I have to do to get rid of condemnation because justification does the job. Hallelujah. So I'm justified freely as a gift. I'm accepted as righteous in Christ. And you know, you can, you can go home from your meeting tonight and say, yes, Lord, I'm absolutely free. Hallelujah. I'm back with you. I understand. Right, tomorrow morning we get up. Let me pretend I'm one of the ladies here. We say, right, I'm going to pray. Lord, bless, uh, uh, bless my husband at the workplace today. Um, make, let, his, let his testimony live. Let people notice his Christian uh, life. He's, he's a good man. Lord, stand with him. And it'd be so nice to do him a really nice meal tonight. It'd be nice to do that. I could, I could go down and get some stuff. And I guess I could, get, I could get down to the supermarket before. That'd be nice. I, yeah, I could go and get that. Be, yeah. I'm supposed to be praying. Um, oh, yeah, praying. Uh, Oh, God. Uh, oh, it's the missionary. The missions thing. Friday, it's the missionary. Uh, uh, yeah, the missionary supper. Oh, God bless the missionaries uh, when they come to us and they, they speak to about what's happening, uh, Lord, in Africa. And, Lord, just open our eyes and stir us. And, Lord, as, as, as we have that supper together. Oh, yeah, the supper. I'm supposed to be getting the quiche. I haven't done it yet. I, <laughs> I, I better get the eggs. I haven't got the bacon. I've got to do that. I mean, I Let's get down to the store, yeah. Maybe I could get at the same time, get that for my husband. That would be fun. And then Satan comes and says, Oh, mighty woman of intercession, are you prevailing in the heavens? You think, prevailing in the heavens? I can't pray for toffee. I'm useless. My brain goes off and I'm, oh, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. And then I better get to my Bible reading. Where was I? Uh, yeah, I remember. I was 13 days behind, wasn't I? Um, uh, 
I was in, yeah, Leviticus, wasn't it? Leviticus, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I do my reading. The priest shall remove from the offering all the fat of the bull of the sin offering and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them which is on the loins of the lobe of the liver which he shall remove with the kidneys. You see, and then Satan comes and says, getting a lot out of it, are you? And you think, I don't know what it's all about. See, I'm a useless Christian. I'm a, I probably have a terrible day now because I couldn't pray. I didn't understand my Bible reading. Oh, God, sorry, you're not for me anymore. I'm so I'm used, I'm such a useless Christian. See, what happened last night we were with Jesus? Hallelujah. This morning, I'm useless. What did I do? You must have done something terrible in between. All you did was sleep through the night. All right. But now you're evaluating your Christian life on how well you're doing these things. As though you get points for it. As though your acceptance comes from it. You say, well, Terry, don't you read your Bible? Yeah, it's just all Bible. I'm preaching to you. But I don't read my Bible to impress God. See, I don't need to. I found someone who's already impressed him for me. I'm not trying to impress God. I don't read the Bible and say, hmm, whole chapter this morning, good, eh? Yeah, a few marks for that. Prayed for 20 minutes, hey? Hey, 20 minutes this morning. No, I, I love to pray. I love to read my Bible. I don't do it to impress God. I don't need to. Jesus has impressed God. His perfect obedience is accredited to my account. Hallelujah. So I'm free to read the Bible for fun. I'm free to read it so I can understand some more. I'm free to pray because I want to get some answers to prayer. Not, oh, I did my praying thing. See, beloved, we need to step right out of it into the freedom that's ours. So you can come. See, some people call these things the means of grace. And what they do is they, it's not means of grace. It's the stuff you do to prove you're a real Christian. And it's not. It's, it's there to help us. Jesus has done. Jesus is the Savior. He saved us. He's made us righteous as a gift. Hallelujah. Even in the Old Testament, they were told, prepare a lamb. And it had to be a perfect lamb. It had to be with no disease. It had to be perfect. And when they brought their lamb to the priest, they weren't thinking, I do hope the priest doesn't notice. This is all torn. I've got all mud here. You're not all you're thinking about is the lamb. The lamb has to be perfect. All eyes are on the lamb, not your dirty sleeves. And he takes the lamb and thinks, is it blind? No. Is it diseased? No. Any broken limbs? No. And he would inspect the lamb. Then he gives the lamb back and says this, I find no fault in it. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong with my lamb. I've got a perfect lamb. I'm accepted. I've got a perfect lamb. I'm accepted. I remember once I was praying, and, and as I was praying, I felt God reminded me of the story of Jacob who came to his blind father, Isaac. Isaac was old and blind, and he had a son that he really loved. His name was Esau. He absolutely loved Esau. And Jacob's a crook. He's a cheat. And while Esau's out, he goes and gets Esau's clothing 
He puts skins on his hands and pretends to be the son that the father loves and goes to the father to get blessed. And I was praying one day, and I felt God spoke to my heart and said, don't fear. See, Jacob's hidden in Esau's clothing. And he's scared stiff that his blind father will say, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing in there? Get out. You know, it's like, will he realize? And he's drawing near, and it says that the father smells the clothing of Esau and touches it. And it's like, oh, my son whom I love. And I felt God said to me, don't fear that I'll find you hidden in the son that I love. I placed you there. I provided for you. And, and, and Jacob got totally blessed because he's hidden in the son that the father loved. And that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the one the father loves. We're accepted in the son that he loves. Hallelujah. And when I pray, I mean, I often use that when I come to pray. I often use it. And I say, Father, just think about his obedience. Think about his purity. Think about the way he went to the cross. Think away the way he said, no, for this purpose came I to this hour. I, I was pointed to this. I drink this cup the Father's given me. Think about all that, and I'm hiding. It's like, feel these clothes. Get a good snip of it, Lord. I'm hidden in here. I'm hidden in his perfect obedience. Hallelujah. I'm hidden in the perfect obedience of Christ, his spotless righteousness. He's always tenderness, that amazing life that he lived of perfection and innocence. I'm hidden there. Hallelujah. You can't improve on that. You can't add to that. That's why Paul was so furious with the Galatians. How can you add to perfection? You can't add to it. You mess it up. It's complete. John Bunyan, the famous Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said one day he was walking. He felt low. And he said he saw a vision of Christ as his righteousness. And he said, in that moment, he suddenly understood. He said, it did not depend on my frame, was the way he expressed it. We, we hear that in that old song, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. It's like frame of mind. It's not a word we use so much these days. So it did not depend on my frame, not how I feel. He said, I realized if I feel low, I can't take away from his righteousness. And if I feel good, I can't add to his righteousness. Because Jesus Christ is my righteousness, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus is my righteousness. If I sleep through my quiet time, he's my righteousness. He's, absolute, he's my right. He will be every day until God brings me home. He is my righteousness. We stand complete in him. Hallelujah. That is the grace of God. That is the miracle of God's breathtaking grace. He has made us righteous as a gift. Amen? So we reign in life, beloved. We reign in life. We are called to freedom. This is the message of grace. Now we, we're going to spend another two sessions, and I've not finished yet. Grace is a huge theme. It's one of the reasons we've, I brought with me God's lavish grace. Uh, honestly, I, I was speaking to a university student at Brighton. I said, I feel a bit nervous recommending my book. He said, don't even think about it. He said, when lecturers come to our university, they say, I'm telling you this, but this is only one chapter of my study. You need to read the book to get the whole thing. And I'm saying the same. I would encourage you to get the book, get into it, 
work through the chapters. Because as Ben said earlier, we kind of have to get it preached to us often. Because there's something in us that kind of drifts back. Even when we know it, there's a tendency to drift back. And Satan's so cunning to make us feel, no, you're no good. No, we need to stand, stand in this grace. And so I would urge you to, uh, uh, to, to get the book and to, to get it into your heart. I was in Poland where I was so thrilled. My book's been translated into Polish. And uh, I was in Poland and I was signing books. And a guy came up to me with a beaming face, absolutely beaming face. And that's a, nation, that's a nation that's more religious probably than nearly any other nation. It's a very Roman Catholic nation, which has got a lot of guilt in it. And I was so pleased to be able to go there with the book. And this guy stood there in a beaming face. He was holding my book in front of him. And he said, you don't need to sign my copy. I said, okay. He said, I bought it three weeks ago. It's written in my heart. I just thought, whoa. <laughs> I said, stand there. I want a photograph of you. <laughs> it's just, I've got this photo now on my, on my phone. It's a beaming smile. I've got it in my heart. I thought, yes, yes. So I would commend that to you. And I wanted to Wendy's books. I didn't bring Wendy with me, but I brought some of her books. This one's for people who actually don't think they're readers much. So sort of chapters, two pages. You, know, you read a bit, leave it on the coffee table. But it's fun and it's really helpful. But we're going to work through this step by step today. And I'm really believing with you. I've been praying so much. I hope you have too. That these days, this today, <laughs> we'd really grasp this and go out of here free and happy in what God has done. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your amazing grace. Thank you that, Father, you've delivered us from the dominion of darkness, all its hatred, all its accusation, all its heavy bondage, guilt, condemnation. But thank you, you brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, we thank you so much. Father, we ask you right now, please continue with us. Bless us through our break as we fellowship. As we go through the day, let your mighty hand be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.